Welcome to Afterthoughts, everybody, the podcast where we break down a movie that we watched this week. I am your host, Michael Dixon, and with me, as always, John Garcia. Hey, what's going on, Dixon? You know, I crashed my car getting over here, uh, but... Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. It's okay, because I fled the scene, so I've still got time to record this. Okay, that's good to know. Uh, And Ryan King could not make it this week, but we have a special guest with us tonight, Mark Garcia, John's brother. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, John, while you were crashing your car, I was chasing down some young punks to uh, get back a penis that I had on ice. Oh, oh my. (laughs) Was it yours? It was not mine. I don't know. Are you a black market penis dealer? Penis salesman? What's going on here? Well... I can neither uh, confirm nor deny. Wow. Okay. Um, interesting. We don't penis and tell. <laughs> Those are the magicians, right? Uh, if you've seen the movie that we're talking about tonight, you may recognize these references that we are, are making here. We are going to be discussing 1114. I'm on my way back from Benny's. I'm almost home. I wouldn't say I'm drunk. <laughs> Each event. Holy shit, he's shot! No, man, he's dick got. Each coincidence. (laughs) Each detail. (laughs) Is part of your destiny. Where's Sherry? I'll kill you! 1114. Eleven Fourteen is essentially a movie that would come to be if Memento and Crash uh, had a baby, and that baby was raised in a Dollar General parking lot. And I'm just going to leave it at that. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I, I think, um, you know, in rewatching this movie, what I really kind of got the feeling was, was like, man, they really probably wanted to cast this person in this role but this is the person that they could afford. <laughs> I felt kind of the same way about the script. I was like, man, this seems like it could be a super awesome like script, but there were so many movies that came like just a little bit before it that probably did it a lot better. So um, yeah, I, I had remembered this movie and thought, man, this might actually be good, but it's been 10 years since I saw it. And I was like, and eh, it was okay, but it's definitely a little more forgettable now that, that I've rewatched it. Well, I know Dixon has a synopsis of this movie that is one line long, I believe. I did. I wrote my own synopsis of yeah, this so movie. So why don't you tell us <laughs> as well? Uh, my synopsis is 1114 follows several groups of 30-year-old teenagers whose rampant acts of stupidity draw their paths together, resulting in two gruesome deaths and one crazy night. <laughs> yes. Both accurate. The Dollar General baby and this one-sentence wonder here describe exactly what the fuck this movie was. Yeah. Uh, Mark, why did you have us watch this again? Yeah. Why did I waste uh, an, nine, an 86 and... minutes watching this? So um, I recall I was, I think, a senior in college, and I read about the premise of this movie, um, and I was like, all right, this seems kind of interesting. It's really fascinating. Memento had come out, I think, a couple of years before, had like swept the nation by storm. Everybody, like, I remember Ebert and Roper were like, this is one of the best movies of the year. And I remember reading the synopsis for the film. And I was like, huh, that's kind of an interesting take. The writer and director had written it as, I guess, a school project or something and had submitted it and it was accepted. 
um, to a festival of some kind. And it's like, man, this is interesting. So then I heard nothing about the film, didn't follow it at all. And one day when I was in grad school, happened to see it on a shelf and I was like, I'll pick it up and take it. And uh, it gotten rave reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got a 92% score. Um, and I was like, all right, the, let's see what happens. And I watched it. And at the time I remembered thinking, this is actually not bad. It's kind of cool. It's like all these really interesting plot lines and it centers around the time 1114 for reasons I don't understand. Um, and so that had been my memory of it was like, I think this is like an interesting kind of take on the whole premise of how do you build out this plot line, you know, between Tarantino and Christopher Nolan kind of doing things with time and the way that they chose to edit their films, not that they were the first to do that, but they're some of the more popular. Figured this might be a good film to kind of look at that. And rewatching it, it was not um, <laughs> <laughs> at all. Um, you know, like this, it was literally like, it, just, John, I don't know about you, but I got like vibes of like small town life. And I'm like, yes, this is like, that's, I mean, it feels like I'm, uh, John and I come from a small town where, there was a senior in high school who held up a J.C. Penney's one year with an unloaded gun. Um, oh, no. And, he got uh, some good slacks out of it. And, yeah, he did. Yeah. <laughs> well, And he let people leave the store if they promised not to call the police. See, that's and the, the honor first thing they did. did oh. <laughs> they called the police. And so the whole time I'm watching this, I'm like, man, I'm, that's why it resonated with me. There was some weird fucked up nostalgia I had for being in a small town and here I am right back with it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, that, that's, that's why I had y'all watch the movie was to feel my pain. Um, but more, more specifically, I had in my head since it's been so long, remembered it being way better acted, way better directed than it actually turned out to be. And in watching it over, I, I believe I owe you both a serious apology. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, a lot of people ham up their lines. Um, it's very clear you're working with an inexperienced director, which is displayed in the fact that he only has two movies on Rotten Tomatoes and the other one has an 8% rating. So, yeah. You know, he, he got a solid 50% between his two films. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 100% combined. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> It has moments where there is, I believe, some interesting intrigue in, like, why the fuck is there a bowling ball in a cemetery mm -hmm. um, with a certain name on it? And why is, you know, why are certain events happening? Why are certain people, like, doing things? But because of the way I think they chose to cut it and film it, um, some of those moments lose a lot of their intrigue because you already yes. saw them happen yep. before. Mm -hmm. Like, if Patrick Swayze had been walking his dog and saw a book burning on the ground and then proceeded to, to burn this like shirt or whatever. It, and that's out of place and out of context from the rest of the film. You might be like, that's really fucked up and weird, but okay, whatever. And then if you got to the kids in the van, you'd be like, Oh, okay. makes sense. They're throwing books out. Cause they're just hooligans, you know, running amok and doing stupid shit. Yeah. So. The moment this movie started, I knew something was up because I didn't give a shit about any of the characters that come into frame and uh -huh. do anything. Yeah. I was only laughing at certain parts of it. It felt kind of like in a weird way, kiss, kiss, bang, bang in hmm. not, not like entirely, but just parts of it really didn't land. And it felt like it was trying to go for something. And I couldn't tell if I was supposed to laugh or it was serious or what. Um, so immediately starting with like a dead body hitting a car, that's a, an exclamation point that you can either take fully off the deep end and make it hilarious, which when whoever the fuck that guy is, who's in the movie for like five minutes is bouncing He's on the kid the from E.T. Oh, the kid from E.T.? Yeah. Oh, it's Elliot? Uh, -huh. uh Yeah, whenever Elliot is bouncing on E.T.'s corpse in the back <laughs> of his trunk, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> trying to, like, hide it, uh, I was laughing out loud. And then when it proceeded to just be him caught up in something bigger, I was more frustrated. Um, 
I also have this, like, I don't like the trope of a uh, multi-timeline that all takes place at the same time, uh, watching the same story unfold from different angles because it can be mishandled exactly as Mark's kind of identified, where you just undercut. You know, to me, this felt like the wrong editor got a hold of a Ryan Johnson film and immediately mm. decided to edit out all of the subversions <laughs> and made it way more, despite being non-linear, way more linear in how it's structured out to tell you the mysteries. It would just hook me occasionally with, oh, that's fucking weird. I wonder why that is. And then immediately tell me why. And I would be like, oh, I guess uh, uh, that makes sense, I suppose. And so by the end of the movie, like an hour and 30 minutes went by. It was an hour and 30, right? It wasn't It longer. was uh, hour 26. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, okay. They were right under there. <laughs> um, I just was like, what did we learn here, people? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Just, I guess keep an eye on it. Probably the, the thing that I enjoyed most was recognizing Ben Foster. Uh, <laughs> because I was like, that dude is one year away from being in 2004's The Punisher. And that's all that I could see here. Um, and of course, I enjoyed... Colin Hanks playing Chet Hanks and the autobiographical, <laughs> the biographical picture of Fred Durst. Um, <laughs> that was probably the other thing I enjoyed. Uh, but everything else, I just, I didn't care. Felt like Patrick Swayze was totally underutilized in it. Yeah, and, I wanted more Swayze and uh, more Barbara Hershey. Yeah, yeah, I just, I couldn't, the cast was just, Jason Siegel shows up. And I was like, yes, yeah, skinny fuck? Jason Siegel. Yeah, I was like, holy shit, it's Jason Siegel. Um, <laughs> And then he proceeds to fight a dude over a dick in an icebox. And that was about all he was doing. And I was like, all right, well, I guess we'll see him later when his career takes off. Classic <laughs> Siegel. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I don't remember too much from it. The score was kind of fucking weird. It like yeah. alternated between being like a goofy kind of Coen Brothers vibe at a time. Fuck. <laughs> and then at other times being really somber and serious. Uh, and just all of the kind of accented points of, of characters doing things logically. I was like, why, why would anybody do this except for that nostalgia of a small town where everybody's mm-hmm. fucking stupid and nobody has anything better to do. <laughs> yeah. But that, that also adds to reasons I didn't really believe um, either some of the motivations or some of the, I guess, consequences like for the cop to work in a small town and not know everybody who basically lives there yep. yeah. and, and for some of the people to do some of the stupid shit that they did and be like, Oh, nobody's going to know it was us. It's like, well, who the fuck is it going to be really? Yeah. Um, sorry, but I don't want to yeah. step on you, Dixon. I know no, you, you want to get in on this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think that's, that's definitely a problem of the movie. It seems like it should have been set in a big city. So I don't, yeah, they seem like they didn't really know what they were going they for. They didn't there. have enough of a cast for a big city though. Yeah. They like couldn't get enough extras or they couldn't afford to shoot in LA or, or something. But yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I was just like, like uh, kind of like you said, John, I was just like, what was the point of all this at, at the end? And I think, you know, they're trying to take a story and cut it up into different pieces and make you put the pieces together to figure out what's going on, which in theory sounds interesting. Like I've seen movies do that before and I'm usually not interested in it. It feels like a way to take a story that's not that interesting and move it around. And people think, oh, like this is intriguing now because I'm trying to fit all this together. But like once you get through it, it still needs to be an interesting story with characters that you can identify with. And this just wasn't that. I think part of the problem is that it centers around these two deaths. And the first death is in the opening scene. 
And the second death is like pretty early in the movie, like halfway or, or even earlier than that. And so then the whole second half of the movie, you're kind of piecing things together and discovering how these deaths came together. But you already know the punchline and you're just kind of getting the setup from there. And so I felt like it kind of gave away too much too early. And I, I thought if they maybe if they ended on one of the deaths, maybe that would have put more of a punch to the end of it and wrapped things up in a fun way. But um, yeah, I was just kind of bored with it. Um, there was a movie that came out in like 2007 called like Vantage Point, I think, that was a similar concept where there's like an assassination and they're showing the same thing from different characters. And I remember seeing the trailer for that when I was in high school. I'm like, oh, that sounds awesome. And I watched the movie and I was like, that was not good. What, uh, why wasn't that good? And uh, I feel like a lot of times when movies just edit things out of order, it's just a gimmick and it doesn't really work very well. Like I just watched Irreversible by Gaspar Noe and that was like a bad movie and it was just everything was just edited backwards and that's supposed to be inventive for some reason. I was like, okay, um, whatever. I do think that movies that take one incident and play it back through different characters' perspectives and show the scene in a different way based on how each character is interpreting it can be really interesting, like Rashomon or The Last Duel or something like that, where you can have a lot of interesting uh, revelations about your characters based on how they see things, and you show the action playing out differently based on who is remembering what occurred. But when you're just showing everything kind of from a factual standpoint and you know, kind of what each character was going through leading up to this event, I think it's hard to pull that off in a way that... that really pays off because it's just by nature repetitive and you're yeah. seeing that you have to play the same clips multiple times in order to kind of tie things together and yeah. i just found myself kind of bored with it and at the end i was like what why did we do this um i feel like there's to an extent that approach it's good for indie direction because you get to shoot one thing and use it multiple times yeah you can yeah, like uh -huh. save yourself some effort <laughs> but if you really want to land it you have to go like with the actual film medium and the fact that your audience is smart enough to know that other things are happening at the same time. Something is like, you think about a Tarantino with Pulp Fiction where uh, Jules is like in so many different sequences and you're trying to place the timeline of where he's at and none of those overlay, but you're able to know where the other characters might be like Bruce Willis is and those mm -hmm. kinds of things like that keeps you engaged and interested in the story. And you're piecing the timeline together here. It's like every so often everything intersects. And it's really funny to think about this because I'm like, these storylines annoy me. The only time that I don't think I was annoyed by something like this where there's overlap in the scenes was the fourth season of Arrested Development. Yeah. And uh -huh. that like actually had some great moments where like they put the context back in for certain characters and why they're in these scenes earlier and whatever else. I just didn't mind in that way because it was funny to know their whole plot line behind yeah. this like three second interaction and then they're gone. But here, every character is so fucking despicable, too. Like, I just don't care about anybody. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I agree with you. I think if you're going to do something like this, I feel like the problem with movies like this in, in this particular way is that it's just a gimmick as opposed to a legitimate device for storytelling. Like, I'm going to come back to Memento again. Mm -hmm. And whatever you may or may not think about Christopher Nolan, like one thing that that movie has going for it with playing time reversed is every scene you see you get a different perspective on your feelings for a specific character like you might look at them and be like okay 
I feel this way about them. And then when you do the next rewind sequence, you're like, oh, shit, I feel completely different about this person. And it's a, an effective way of telling that story in a way that you're not expecting. And again, to your point, John, it relies on the audience being smart enough to say, OK, I remember what happened here and what I've seen. And now this is completely changing my perspective on these characters. Whereas here, the actual mystery of what's going on is really not that interesting. It's like, okay, no, so she's getting a thousand dollars total, whoopty fucking do, yeah. to leave with the guy who gets a dead body thrown in his car at the beginning of the movie. And then beyond that, like the whole time rewinding piece and it happening at 1114, first of all, there's no significance there um, at all to my recollection of why they chose that time. I think just both, just both deaths happen at the yeah. same time. Yeah. 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 And I mean, but I mean, from like, even just like, why did they pick 1114 out of anything? Like, that was what I was trying to figure out. I'm like, is there some like meaning I'm missing here? Um, Should have been 11 That's when well, you make a wish. Exactly. Well, and I'm <laughs> yeah. going to go into, into prog rock here. Or okay? midnight or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause like, so like Tool, as you know, John, I'm a huge fan of their music, but they have a song called Vigente Tres, which is, which is Latin for 23 and 23 is supposed to be a number representing synchronicity mm -hmm. and they have tracks that you can actually lay together and at the time mark of the, where the tracks actually overlay and synchronize if you add all the numbers up they add up to 23 and oh, so wow. i was looking for something here <laughs> it's gonna go in that jim carrey movie exactly i was, yeah. I was like <laughs> looking for something here i'm like why the fuck did they pick 11 14 like why couldn't it have just been 11 12 and then it would have fucking worked <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah i i feel like looking at it again it was all just a fucking gimmick and then like half the characters do just really stupid shit that doesn't make any sense i would um, say that pretty much every character does really stupid shit yeah. that doesn't make any with sense with the exception of patrick swayze who does it for the wrong reasons but it makes sense yeah, he's trying to you cover understand up for his why he's yeah. doing it yeah and also i just want to add a side note whatever lettuce he has on his fucking sandwich i need because it is the crispest <laughs> fucking lettuce <laughs> in the history of lettuce <laughs> <laughs> have a great day yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it just character motivations, character actions, all of it was just, it was a fucking mess the whole time. Well, that's like, you bring up Memento, you, we bring up Pulp Fiction, these characters that like allow you to breathe in their dialogue, allow you to understand who they are. Like the whole uh, Memento monologue about Sammy Jenkins, it's this emotional play. It really brings you in empathetically to this character's space and like you're trying to understand more about it and it's giving you that little bit by little bit it's breaking down your barriers and your walls here this is more like they start with a sad story about two murders which is tragic and then they slowly work their way back to like almost a nihilistic ending of like it didn't fucking matter and these people were awful to begin with so mm. you shouldn't care and that's why it feels when you get to the end of the movie you're like why did i watch this and why do i care because by the end of it even like i would have taken if the guy who is drinking and gets pulled over was doing something way worse like not even scooping up this girl from a town to take her out somewhere, but he actually had other bodies in his trunk or like there were other things that made him equally despicable besides just drinking and driving. Um, it felt like there was such an undercut of how terrible of a person he was. And I even think to there's a, like a black mirror episode where they spend 40 minutes of the, the episode endearing you to one character and take five minutes to completely undercut who he is and it's like holy shit this person's fucking awful and everything i felt for him i want to take back but i felt it like realistically um this movie does none of that and it does no emotional justice no so it's just like what uh okay did, was it for the the i don't know it feels so cynical and kind of like 
it's daring me to in, in like an early 2000s punk kind of way to laugh at the pain of all of these teenagers and these people in this town to just it's inviting me to mock them. Yeah, I feel like it's maybe supposed to be a comedy, but it just doesn't yes. really land as, as one. And yeah. like you, know, you referenced Burn After Reading earlier. We're like, what did we learn here today? And, <laughs> you know, a lot of Coen Brothers films have that nihilistic ending, but there's feels like there's a point to it. You know, like Burn After Reading is hilarious and it's making fun of the government and these big bureaucratic institutions and law enforcement and all these things. And like there is a purpose behind what they're doing, even if there is a nihilistic message to it. And this is just like teenagers, they're stupid, right? Like, <laughs> like yeah, I guess. Um, also, like all the actors are between like 27 and 32. So I yeah, know. yeah. <laughs> like Hillary Swank, I don't buy that. She's not a teenager. Also, like, this is like the first time I've ever seen Hillary Swank playing uh, a teenager who's completely stupid in like every way possible uh -huh. like yeah. there's no common sense to her there's nothing about her character that everybody's so two-dimensional in it it's it's amazing to me how flat all these characters fall i feel like uh, they, they cast hillary swank because they could get hillary swank and then they're like wait a minute she's she can't play 18 what do we do let's like, put braces we'll give her, her braces <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I, I actually would make the argument that I think the movie would have been made a lot better if they had um, if they had instead spent the money on maybe only one big name. Like I would have kept Swayze mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. have everybody else be no names up and comings and then probably invested much more money in hiring an actual director yep. and then probably sound design and uh, and music. Maybe like the, a script supervisor. Yeah, script supervisor <laughs> for sure. Because uh, I it think you need like a better script too, because it's just like at the end of it, there's just nothing at its core. You know, it just feels soulless, and you need something, somebody to come in there and write something interesting into these characters and some sort of purpose for you to care about these people. Yeah, I mean, and and if we go back to the the last movie that y'all had me on the old version of the cast for, like Old Boy, mm -hmm. like you can make the argument that pretty much every character in that film with the exception of the lead love interest is pretty much a despicable character, mm -hmm. but there are moments of humor and there are points where you're like I actually kind of feel sympathetic towards this person's plight for reason yeah, X or definitely. Y. Even if they're like really really nefarious or disgusting reasons that they've done what they've done, like they still have that humanity aspect and I think that that's what's missing here. Yeah, I felt nothing for Ben Foster and his penis or Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> and Fred Durst and their plights in the van. I just didn't care. Um it was like weird too, because there were moments where it was like, we got to do this because he's our friend. And I was like, I can't tell if it's trying to do anything with these characters. I don't think it is. I don't think it fucking knows what it wants to do when it puts these different. Cause like having Rachel Lee cook play a character who's playing two guys uh, basically against each other while she's going to leave with this third guy. Even that, like there was no dynamic between any of that. There was no triangle that actually surfaced. She like made it all up. So we never got to see any dynamics. <laughs> And it it just fell completely flat. One thing that I really thought was like the only kind of thing that was mildly interesting and was actively sabotaged by the movie itself was the ability to show time in any given scene. You could do so many clever cinematography things to keep you engaged and know what time you're at, where you are. Yeah. But every time they show a fucking clock, uh, they have to zoom in on the fucking numbers. Yeah. So like you're getting your readers out and yeah. you're, you're fucking just what time is it again? And you're like, kind of fucking stupid, aren't you? <laughs> you don't know how to tell time on a digital clock. Yeah. <laughs> also, the way that time passes makes no sense whatsoever. Like they kept showing the clock. and I'm like, oh. 
too many things need to happen between now and 11 14 yeah this isn't gonna how is this gonna happen and like I think the most egregious one was when they do Rachel Lee Cook's segment and they shut the clock and it's 1054. Yeah. And like, wait a minute. She goes and fucks a dude in the cemetery. A bolt the thing falls on his head and kills him. And then she like runs around, finds her, you know, one of her boyfriends at a gas station. Her car won't start. She has to jump it and steal his shit and get the bowling ball and go and like all that stuff. Like there's no way that that would happen in 20 minutes. Like, Patrick Swayze is even a less time to like go like drag a body across town and do all this stuff and like what no (laughs) like just why why are you trying to act like these things only take 10 minutes to do this entire thing just give me an earlier time like yeah it's fine to show like you know the sun going down or something and having these different things happen right and then it's dark and you know it's 11 14 or Uh, it's around that time but it just yeah, and also the flashback mechanic they use. Uh, anytime that it has to reset the clock, I was just like, I don't, I fucking get it. I know that you're taking me back to a different period because you told me the movie's called 1114. What, you think we're going to go to fucking midnight? I don't think so. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, and like, to your point, both your points, actually, at that point, like, instead of doing the fucking flashback, that's more of a justification to just have everything happening in whatever fucking order you want to but as long as you have a timekeeping device in the scene, mm-hmm. let the audience sit there and like that would be an immediate reason for, hey, I want to do a rewatch to see when is this fucking happening and what's going on because I wasn't paying attention to the clock here. You know, yeah. it feels like this feels like a, a fucking film school project. Yes. It's and a that's film school project around. I want to fuck around with time. Yep. I want to see how I can show time yeah. in a movie. And it's like like 13 year old Christopher Nolan made yes. this movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I think honestly, like in in retrospect, like if I were to come back and give criticism to beyond just what we've already talked about, the things I would say is either a you need to cut out some of the vignettes, like you don't need five different vignettes for this. Too take it down characters. to three, mm-hmm. like take it down to three. You know, streamline it so that the characters can breathe, or you need to fucking lengthen it and make it a two hour movie. Give your characters some time because to your point, Dixon, like, and and you raised it too, John, like we don't have enough time with any of these characters to feel any kind of connection at all. Like no. outside of just Patrick Swayze being like, okay, that's a dad taking care of his daughter who really is probably. And he's Patrick like Swayze. We love Patrick yeah, Swayze. Exactly. Yeah. Like, you know. We love Patrick Swayze. Don't we folks? <laughs> <laughs> we love Roadhouse. <laughs> Beautiful Swayze film. Crazy. I heard the remaking it with Gyllenhaal. It's not going to be as good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I, I was thinking on the way, like driving here of the influences that probably I mean, obviously, the movie was written probably before these, but I don't know. Um, and I was thinking like Memento, Donnie Darko, probably since it played with time in ways that other movies hadn't at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Run Lola Run, which I think might have come out the same year. I haven't um, seen that. I've heard good things. It's it's great. Like and it and it does it the right way. It it is essentially kind of like a precursor to Russian Doll. I think is the best way to pitch that movie. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So it's just a repeat over. And now that I'm thinking, of Groundhog like, Day scenario. Exactly. Yeah. Like fuck. Why didn't I just suggest Run Lola Run? But here we are. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah. Like and then uh, Final Destination. To your point of it being like more nihilistic and and just like characters we don't care about and bad things happening to them. Like. The Final Destination movies were really big around this time. Yeah. Um, and so I think that there were some influences in like the time, not justifying why it sucks so badly. But I think that that all kind of influenced what movie we got here. There's, as you're talking about that, two things come to mind. One is 
Ryan was talking about in some previous episode, I think it was a recommender refute, uh, Kabuki theater, just referencing mm-hmm. the, the, the like way that a Japanese theater expresses who a person is. I mean, Shakespeare does it too with like the fool and having certain characters dress a certain way. This movie attempts to do that because Ben Foster wears a shirt that says legalize crime yep. uh. <laughs> and, and fucking, uh, Colin Hanks playing Fred Durst. Obviously he has like that kind of like aesthetic of a bro and, um, having uh hillary swank with braces it establishes that she's innocent in a way and all it tries to communicate all of that and use that to fill in the characters and none of it works because we just don't it still just doesn't land if this was final destination which i've only seen like two of those movies um those are cathartic in a way that feels like it's boomer exploitation, <laughs> like it's just <laughs> targeted at murdering millennials, and like no matter what, they're gonna fucking die. This in the same way, like on that vibe, feels like it's like, hey, look at how fucking awful the kids are. You you know how you think the kids are awful? They really are. Check them out, and then watch them all die. And then Patrick Swayze, but Patrick Swayze's also like burying a body. Like why not make him, yeah. you know, the only pristine character in some way? Um, I will say that the Swayze. Like, uh, like section i think was the best one yes and there's really the only one where i was like concerned about what was going on to the characters and because swayze's like oh shit like he thinks his daughter has killed this guy and you know does not know that they were just casually fucking against a tombstone that had a cracked head on it that happened to fall on his head and and he was like because like when she leaves he's like if he touches if he hits you one more time i'm gonna fucking kill him and so like he he knows that there's been some domestic violence there and you know he's like oh he he gave her no option. She just had to do what she had to do. All right. I'm not going to let you go to jail, sweetie. And like, you know, take the body, trying to figure out what he can do with it. And, you know, there's like the scenes of like the car driving by, he's trying to duck out of the way. And then like, you know, this is coming because you've seen the opening scene of the movie where the body falls into E.T. boy's car. But, uh, <laughs> you know, when it does happen, it's still funny. Like Swayze plays it well. He's like, oh, fuck. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <he's- laughs> Also, the idea that you should just throw it off of the overpass onto the highway, that seems dumb. Like, go bury it in the woods, dude. Like, you right. all live on this massive property with all these trees. But anyway, he made that dumb decision. and it, But it, I did laugh at that. Like, I thought that paid off pretty well. And then the movie kind of falls off a cliff from, from there, I think. You know, I, I, uh, I have notes about how this movie could have been funnier than it was. Similar to Cocaine Bear, yeah. obviously. <laughs> but Swayze in particular, I think, would have been hilarious because... He comes across the body at the cemetery with what did Rachel Lee Cook really put this dude's dick away? I fucking doubt it. Yeah. So like Swayze wants to move the body, but he's like, oh, I don't fucking want to touch. Oh, and he's like trying to like go in and zip up the jeans, but not touch the dick and like get around. It would have been hilarious. And then when he locks his keys in his car, like right outside the church, like, oh, father, uh, you're here for uh, was midnight mass tonight or what's going on? Like trying to talk his way out of that. Those would have been like really funny scenes. And instead it's all like, no, we got to fucking move this. We got to get you to the bridge because we have to beat the 1114 timeline. You know, they introduce him at like 1059 and it's yeah. like he's got to find the body and drag it all the way over to the bridge in 15 minutes. Let's yeah, get him it, over there. His uh, his his whole storyline was also one of those where I was like, OK, this is like there's no way that this is all happening in this amount of time. Yeah, no, no um, possible way. But but to your point, Dixon, like I do think it was the best balance between the tragedy and comedy. Watching this movie actually and, and try like seeing it try and fail to balance um tragedy and comedy made me actually think, man, I really fucking should have suggested we watch Melinda and Melinda, but that will be for another time. 
uh, Woody Allen film. <laughs> Great movie if you haven't seen it. Um, I haven't seen that. But yeah, uh, I've seen lots of Woody Allen films, but I haven't seen that one. Yeah, but it, it, it was one of those again. And I think it, it's all coming back to the same thing. We're going to keep harping on this because the movie sucks so bad. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just the fact that like none of the characters have a moment to breathe. Like you don't like it is really two dimensional because the director is so fixated on the time frame having to work and line up that there's just no amount of time that allows these characters to have any moments where there's redeeming qualities or even if they're not going to be redeeming qualities at least more input into why they are the way that they are well you think about like uh when colin hanks is screaming at ben foster that's a moment to introduce some empathy to your characters that would actually probably work but instead you turn your audience away from him because he's like, if you hadn't have been pissing out the goddamn window, none of this would have happened. Guys, calm down. No, you stay out of this, Tim. Now listen, I'm not going to jail over your little dick. So you can either say I didn't hit you, or you can bleed to death for all I care. Say it! You didn't hit me. And in that moment, I was like, man, I fucking, nobody in this van. I don't like anybody in this van. I wish they would all just not wear their seatbelts, fucking drive fast. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care. Um, and that, that's like a total turnaround from Ben Foster a year later in The Punisher when I give a <laughs> shit about him. <laughs> and he's, he's being tortured, but he won't give up the secrets. I'm like, yeah, wait, way to go, Ben Foster. We, sh- um, we should talk about the dick scene. Because we should. Do we need to talk about the dick scene? We need scene to talk about okay, the dick scene. Talk about dick scene. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He's going to talk about the dick scene, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, just, just to like clarify for everyone, we're not talking about a specific character being a dick when we refer to the dick scene. We're talking about a literal dick. Yes. We're talking about <laughs> hot dog. Yes. <laughs> that gets, uh, uh, promptly circumcised a bit dog. too much. <laughs> so it, it's amazing to me that there is a scene where a guy's dick comes off of his body and passes around between multiple people and people are freaking out trying to find it and get it back into the hospital and it's just not amusing at all yeah. I'm like how did they fail on this premise so badly it just doesn't it's, it's pretty wild and like first of all we got to talk about the physics of this because it makes no sense yeah ben sure. foster has like pre- propped himself up against the side of this massive van that colin hanks is driving and he's peeing out the window and Colin Hanks is very mad. And the window is not, like, open all the way. It's, like, cracked a little bit. Like, it, there's a, plenty of space there. Yeah. And Colin Hanks is turned around and yelling at him and then runs into Rachel Lee Cook. And the, thus the van has to stop very quickly. And Ben Foster flies into the front of the van. And his dick just comes off. The, uh, the, the, the window supposedly slams shut on his dick, which then he flies forward and then flops back. That's supposed to be what happened. Why would I don't uh, like that just doesn't make any sense to me that the window <laughs> would have moved forward at all. First of all, but if the window was loose or something, you wouldn't think it would have enough force in that to actually dislodge the man's penis. You know what would have made more sense? I, I don't know. The I've doors, not been in that situation. The, you know, they open the sliding door and hey, you know, the lock has a little because they show some scenes where they open that door and have like their friend run into the car. Yeah. Oh, those like, sliding oh, van doors yeah, are vicious. Exactly. Man. Yeah. Like, oh, fuck this door. Like, why can't you get your fucking van fixed, Colin Hanks? Like, you know, <laughs> set it up and then have that happen. But anyway, that doesn't matter because Ben Foster gets his dick chopped off by that whole circumstance. But see, it does matter, John, because I pulled out a whiteboard and attempted to draw (laughs) yesterday, like physics based to Dixon's point. Like I was like, okay, I want to do the math here and say, how close does his crotch have to be to where uh when they crash the van, he's going to fly forward enough and still be in that, I guess, 
Like why Did guillotine range where yeah. well, it, it could separate? You're, you're you're neglecting the fact that he could have a, a 15 inch penis. Uh, <laughs> clearly, but he doesn't. Oh, he doesn't. <laughs> they, they, they make well, that very clear. Unless uh, it, it was just the tip. It was. It, <laughs> it's actually 1114 in size. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> if he's like the. the Van is coming to a huge stop. He's flying forward. His dick is attached to his body. You think it would just slip out the window with the rest of him? Oh, God, and, I wish yeah, Mythbusters you know. was still around. I know. Just call oh, him up and that would be the really best Mythbusters. Put the prosthetic on that Mark Wahlberg wore in Boogie Nights, and uh, let's see what happens. <laughs> on this episode of Dick Busters, <laughs> um, yeah, that that whole like in watching it in retrospect, I'm like, okay, that's completely unbelievable. Um, it's clearly just a plot point for plot point's sake. Yeah. I mean, just let's, let's just ramp up the, uh, set, set phasers to MacGuffin. Okay. Yes, uh-huh. That's absolutely what it would be. You know what I would have, I would have loved to have seen. I would have actually believed this scene more if it was a stage play. I know we've talked about no. this before in stage, play. but like, imagine a little cardboard van going along a stage <laughs> and there's a guy who's propped up on it, holding himself. And they're like, you should be doing that. And the Colin Hanks character, obviously from a community college is playing this. And uh, then like the they're like, oh, no. And they hit and the, the cardboard van shakes and suddenly the door slides closed with somebody in a black garb and you get ribbons of red blood like fucking that thrown be across. Funny It'd be fucking play. hilarious yeah. <laughs> in a movie. It's just <laughs> unbelievable and stupid. Well, but in a stage play, sure. <laughs> and I mean, a much more believable portion to that whole sequence would have been one of them actually getting fucking shot because yeah. going yes. to the hospital yes. with a fucking gunshot wound. Tie, still tying you to the hit and run would have been a reasonable way to tie up that whole sequence. But See, then we don't get the but, Jason Siegel scene. Yes, it's true. <laughs> but also, so here's where my like Ryan Johnson edited by the wrong person comparison comes in. Okay. They play for a second with the fact that Ben Foster might be shot. They're like, oh my God, he's shot. He's bleeding, whatever. Just cut it right when the fucking van drives away and you have the gunshots going. Cut that. Cut to Ben Foster in a hospital and everybody's filling out forms and you're getting this. And it's way later in the movie, too. And they're like, mm. why are you here exactly? And he's like, he um, he was shot. And they're like playing it up like that. And then eventually reveal well, he wasn't shot his at all. His dick off. is just shot off or like his dick was clipped off, shot off, whatever it was. Just play that. I think even doing like clipped off is still fine and be like, that's the most unbelievable thing, because then you could have a doctor coming and be like, well, how the fuck did that happen? You'd have to be really close to a van's window if that was going to be like, it's just like going through how incredulous and you lampshade it. It would be fucking great. And then you could have a whole discussion with Jason Siegel where he fights with his friend. Um, that was the other thing I thought it was going to lead to was that the dick was going to fall out of the ice. And instead of his friend grabbing it, his friend, they, the fucking EMTs would give him a hard time and be like, dude, that was like our only fucking bucket of ice. Like we don't have any more fucking ice. <laughs> and he's like, well, how do we keep the dick so we can reattach it? Like you got to put it in your mouth now, bro. Like, this is what you got to do. <laughs> like, do something like that. Because I hear, like, when you lose a thumb, if you put it in your mouth, it's supposed to keep it fresh. Oh, really? It's actually a thing that actually will work. Um, so, yeah, like, play that up. And then you can do whatever you want to. You can do commentary on homosexual, like, homophobia, whatever that fucking thing. Like, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang did. Uh-huh. Similar kind of thing. Not used at all. Doesn't matter. It's all about, I'm going to grab a dick and run with it. Here's your dick, friend. Throw it in your face. There you go. Done. <laughs> Um, I just listed out like way better things. Somebody remake this movie with all my <laughs> suggestions. 
I will watch it. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say earlier, but I wanted to wait till this moment, that I, I look forward to the three-hour Bollywood adaptation to this movie. Yeah. <laughs> when they dance when the dick comes off. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh. but uh, there, that's the, that's the dick scenario. I don't know. Is that what it's called? The dick situation? The dick incident? Uh, something like a, that, yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> the dick-cident? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's getting dangerously close to Dixon. We'll walk it back from that. <laughs> yeah, I, I again just need to apologize. I feel like in, in retrospect, I mean, the, the I guess the benefit of it is this is making for a really fun episode where we can just bash on this movie to no end. Um, yes. And talk about how, you know, we, we could put our director's hats on and say, this is how I would have done it if I would have done it, which is great. Um, on the other hand, like there's so many better movies that I just didn't have at the forefront of my mind because <laughs> dad brain um, that if, if given like another opportunity, I would have brought in because I'm like, now that I'm thinking about it, this is a way better movie than this. Well, you blew your chance. You're never coming back. Right? Yeah, I know. This, this is it. <laughs> you burned, done. All, burned all the bridges. Burned all the bridges. <laughs> Fuck you guys. I did this on purpose. Can't wait until my nephew's old enough to show him 1114. <laughs> You're not um, going to do it under my roof. Yeah. I'll hype it up. I'll be like, hey, nephew, your dad really loves this movie. <laughs> Let's fucking check it out. Why do you guys think this movie is well-reviewed? I'm confused by that. Like, it's got... You know what, ninety-two on Rotten Tomatoes. It has a sixty-five Does meta it still score. Have a ninety-two? It's a critic thing. It's I yeah. Mean, so I think that what it is is again. I think if you take it in context, this was released in two thousand three. So critics were terrible back. Then. Well, well, in that in that period as well, like um, Identity was a big movie. Um, Memento, like any movie that had a twist or was atypical from your traditional like summer blockbuster movie yeah, was immediately heralded as this fucking godsend of a movie. And it was like, Oh, this is the most amazing thing since sliced bread. You'll never see like the end of this coming. And, and I think that's why like to that extent, like I, my memory is, Oh, this was an actual, like a really fun, well-directed good movie. And now that I've seen more and I've seen, like I've had a taste of, no, it really isn't like these are like I hadn't seen Old Boy yeah. when I had seen this movie. Um, I hadn't seen like Run Lola Run when I had seen this movie. I hadn't seen, um, you know, like Hans Labyrinth by the time I had seen this movie. So there was a lot that I hadn't seen um, when I saw this. And as a result, I think that I was like, OK, this like is atypical from what you would see in most Hollywood films. And that's why I think Dixon, it might have that higher review. Yeah. Um, but now, and this happens in video games a lot too, I've noticed is there are a lot of critics that are saying, Hey, maybe we should actually pull video games from like these older times, bring them up now to current day and re-review them and see if we still feel the same way. Or if it's that rose colored glasses kind of feel that we have for them. Um, because this is not one of those films that ages well, like Citizen Kane, that's a movie that ages fucking well, even if you don't fully understand, like the cinematography and the things that that movie does differently than what were done at the time, you can still appreciate it for right, what yeah. it is. Yep. But this is not one of those movies that ages well. I mean, it ages like, you know, milk. That's mm. like, I, I've seen a number of um, Cisco and Ebert from like the eighties reviews of, of like science fiction schlock that I watch that I love. Um, <laughs> and they'll be like, Oh, this was great. I had a fun time. It's fantastic. And I go and watch it. I'm like, I understand why you had a fun time and why it's great. But I also understand that anybody now watching this would have the Blade Runner problem 
where you're like, this is fucking boring or it's just cheap and hokey. It doesn't fucking matter anymore. At the time, it feels novel because you're in the boom of something. You're in like, like all the Star Wars clones feel novel because it's like in the boom of this science fantasy. Um, and then here you have, you know, the memento boom, this like timelines and nonlinear shit. And everybody's like, oh, we want all of that. Anything that does that is really cool and innovative. Mm -hmm. It's doing something really interesting. Um, and I feel like that plagues the early 2000s. There's a lot of that. It's also a lot of like, like whatever crashes. Uh, it just, I, you haven't seen it, but I haven't, no. it's, I remember seeing Crash and thinking that movie's fucking great. And I remember watching Are we talking about movie. the Oscar winner or the yes. Cronenberg? Talking about the Oscar winner, okay. not the Cronenberg, because the Cronenberg deserves accolades. That's I've heard Criterion. that one's good. I haven't seen either of them, but yeah. One of them's in Criterion and it's the Cronenberg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, one of my colleagues in grad school called Crash, the year it was released, a back to school special. It and really is. That, it is. Yeah, yeah. that applies. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is like peak Hollywood attempting to appear quote unquote woke in all that it does um and it seems i mean it, it every emotional beat in that movie you can just tie to the score it, it's not actually as emotional yeah. as it needs to be it's just tied to the score it's uh it's calculated it's really well calculated yeah. and also i just i've learned to not like sandra bullock i don't i don't think mm. i ever liked her subconsciously but i also now actively know why i don't like her acting and her performances and it's mostly because i'm sure she's capable of acting really well but in most of the movies she's directed in it's literally you just need to be white lady concerned. And that's yeah. like all that she's ever been told. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, anyways, this movie, yeah, just overblown. And yeah, it does still have a 90% Rotten Tomatoes from the critics. They have not gone back. Nobody's gone back. So uh, that's the that's the ticket, everybody. Um, Dixon, you're an official critic now. I think that you should probably write an article about this movie and oh, yeah. start balancing out the metrics. <laughs> I actually try, try to submit articles to Rotten Tomatoes and they have not accepted them. So. Well, we're going to get you an official website. We're going to get you a partnership. We'll yep. fucking figure out yep. what we need. Yeah, I think, you know, something that could be fun for you, Dixon, would be to pull like Run, Lola, Run and some of the movies from this time mm -hmm. to, to, to put them up to comparison to to 1114 to say this is why this movie is dog shit and you should not be like swayed by its rotten tomato score because it's always been dog shit it's just that at that time people really liked watching dog shit, people on, really like, dog shit. on a huge screen like <laughs> yeah it really we're... feels like a guy who watched pulp fiction when he was 13 and then was old enough to direct a movie and was like i need to do that but like just, I, yeah, yeah yeah exactly to that point any fucking movie that has a woman walking across a goddamn street in boots while you play fucking Nancy Sinatra. <laughs> yep. Like it's it's fucking done. It's like, OK, so you went and bought this fucking like indie movie playbook from the same fucking bookstore that everybody else has. Uh, and you think you're being fucking edgy and, and modern with well, it. Well, you know what it was was that was where all the budget was. Yes, was exactly. Licensing, <laughs> licensing Nancy fucking <laughs> Sinatra. Because <laughs> I don't remember any other licensed music anywhere else in this no. movie. I just remember nature footage of Komodo dragons that Patrick Swayze was watching <laughs> as he ate a sandwich. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It, it just, it's like, and, and I just remember feeling five minutes into the movie, God damn, this is overacted. It's fucking hammed up. What have I fucking done to them? <laughs> and I remember Literally. thinking five minutes into that movie, 
does my brother like this? Is he really? That couldn't be. Yeah. I was like, God damn, I... Any notoriety I have with this group uh, of individuals yeah. is fucking shot your from this point on. Completely yeah, to burn they're going to be like, well, he recommended Old Boy, so he seems great there, but fuck him because he <laughs> recommended 1114. Honestly, when you, when you sent it to me, I never heard of it. And I just looked up the description on IMDb and I was like, oh no, that yeah. sounds bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I almost told John, I was like, okay, you and Dixon don't read the description, just go in eyes blind. And then after I watched them, like, thank God I didn't send that fucking text. So they would have been like, fuck him. What the yeah. fuck is he talking about here? <laughs> it's the next Scorsese. Don't even read the description, just go in. <laughs> exactly. Like, and in my head, like I will say, I was I was like toying with the ideas. I was like, all right, should I go the Pinocchio route for Guillermo del Toro? I haven't seen the the new animated Pinocchio. It won an Oscar. Like yeah, you could go the fine. animator route. Yeah. I was like, you know, I could go the Evil Dead route. I know Dixon hasn't seen it. John told me, but I, I didn't know at the yeah. time. I was like, man, that would be a great one to do. And I fucking chose 1114. So fuck. He <laughs> chose the middle of the road, literally and figuratively. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, hey, fifty percent on Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> yeah. man. Total score. <laughs> Never asked to direct another movie since. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I do want to briefly talk about Barbara Hershey because I think she is good yes. in the movie and. I like I haven't seen her in a ton of stuff, but she's the lead in Boxcar Bertha, and she's also Mary Magdalene in The Last Temptation of Christ. So Scorsese has used her a couple times, and I always like her in the, those movies when I've seen her. And I thought she was a really interesting character in this movie that could have created a lot more chaos than she was yes. allowed to. Like Absolutely. she's the concerned, you know, community organizer lady who like is friends with the chief of police she's and knows everybody in town. town. Yeah, exactly. She's like a raging Karen and is always trying to meddle in everything. And that plays really well in the opening sequence when, you know, the body falls on E.T. Boy's car and she, you know, drives up next to him. And she's like, oh, she just assumes it was a, that he ran into a deer. And she's like, oh, I'll, I'll call the cops. He's like, oh, no, 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 don't do that. Because, you know, there's a human body next to his car and he's freaking out. And he's like, oh, don't do that. I already called them. She's like, oh, no, it's, it's no, no problem. Uh, uh, the chief's a friend. It'll escalate it. You know, they'll get here quicker. Um, and just, you know, I feel like there were opportunities for her to just stumble upon more things and yes. to create more problems and chaos that would have been really fun. And she was great in that opening sequence. And then um, I think even it was the same opening sequence when that guy ends up wandering up to her place by accident. And she's yeah. like, what, you killed my daughter? And she starts freaking out at him. And, you know, it turns out it was you know, the other death. But I was just like, man, like that could have been so the movie could have been so much better if she had come up more often you know, than she did. It squandered that moment for me to play her up as being a very naive and dumb character who is just like wholesome. Uh -huh. It's a similar thing to like Frank. If if Frank and her had been just the object of purity in this movie. Wait, Frank? Frank is, sorry, Patrick Swayze. I didn't uh, mean to say the character Is that his name. character's name? That's his character's name. Oh, my the God. The only reason I remember is because <laughs> the Punisher's name is Frank Castle, so obviously Ben Foster. John, <laughs> get off the Punisher horse. <laughs> I can't. It's a great movie. John, stop trying to make Punisher happen. <laughs> uh, it, but, yeah, like, if her and Patrick Swayze had been the object of purity in this, where they're both trying to do right, but they consistently mm -hmm. lead to things being done wrong, where she's like, oh, well, we got to go find whoever, like, hit my daughter. And she brings that dude along in some way that would have been, like, wacky. Or she found Patrick Swayze trying to put out that fire. 
and consistently started leading to him like panicking and trying to cover it up more <laughs> and it pushed him to something like she could have been a force of chaos in yeah. her positivity and it would have been hilarious like that, that yeah i wanted more of her in in every like it was like where where is she going to come into these other other scenes and she just you know they never brought her back in and also she and patrick swayze are by far the most interesting characters in the movie and they're a married couple and we never see them interact it's like why don't we get to see their relationship yeah at, at all like you know they're just have these separate storylines they don't really ever talk to each other they, yeah, yeah literally it's just she picks him up when he's kicking the shirt into the sewer yep. uh, and then that's it drives yeah. him home and then he's off to you know, take care of the rest of whatever he's going to take care of. And that's it. It would have been really funny if she told him, well, I called the sheriff and he's like, you did what? And thinks that the body that the sheriff's going to oh, find that yeah. body and think that it was him. And he's uh -huh. like, Oh, uh, uh, and he's just trying to tell her a lie to get her to take him to wherever the scene is. So he can cover up the evidence would have been way funny. Would have mm -hmm. been great. No, <laughs> none of that is what's going to happen in this movie. No. So let me ask you this, John, would you pay? for a ticket to go see it in theaters if the remake is written and directed by Tommy Wiseau. No, yes. <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't do that. I don't think I would do. I'm not going to pay for anything that Tommy Wiseau does now because he's just chasing that cloud at this point, trying to like recreate the lightning in a bottle that was the room. Um, however, if Tommy Wiseau took my notes and said he was going to make it, I would maybe go see it just to see him butcher my notes because he would throw them all out for some other shit. And I'd be curious what it was. Well, <laughs> do you think he would introduce football into the movie somehow? Probably. <laughs> I mean, clearly Colin Hanks plays football. So yes. oh, there's yeah. going to be some kind uh, of well, football thing there. <laughs> and the reason I, I legitimately ask that is in, in like listening to our like assessment of it and thinking about the motivations of the characters, the two dimensionality, like every one of these fucking characters almost to a degree mimics the characters he wrote in the fucking room. Yeah, like Lisa yeah. is Rachel Lee Cook's character. Oh my God. Um, blowing my fucking yeah, mind. Like, right like now. literally it is. And then like the guy driving Who's the, the mother-in-law that definitely has cancer. Uh, that, that would be, um, let's see. Uh, is that not box bar Bertha? Yeah, I guess that would be Barbara Hershey. Yeah. <laughs> Barbara yeah. Hershey. Yeah. Barbara Hershey. And then I guess I assume like Patrick Swayze is Chris R the gangster. <laughs> <laughs> Just cause he's fucking Patrick Swayze. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Sure. But I mean, it, it really is one of those things where like in <laughs> retrospect, I'm like, Jesus, these characters could be straight out of a fucking Wiseau film, like the way that they're written, the way they behave, like nothing they fucking do makes any sense. And we're never given any moment to really like get to know them. Like I, you raise a great point, Dixon. Like if we even just got for 10 minutes to see the relationship with the two parents, yeah, that would have made a portion of this movie worth watching and sitting through. I'd mm -hmm. be like, you know what? Every other part of this movie is fucking shit, but that was really awesome. Like, and it would have added to Rachel Lee Cook's character as well if we get a, more of an idea of the home that she's coming from. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Uh, I would pay to see Ben Foster be Denny. I would pay. Uh, it's just, he's he's the right kind of annoying. Am I right, Dixon? He is, yeah. <laughs> there was not near enough ass in this movie for it to be a Tommy Wiseau. It's project. true. It's true. They uh, needed more ass in the cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, who the fuck fucks in a cemetery of all fucking places? They're again? boning on the bones, man. Yeah, I don't know I what to so. say. 
<laughs> Which that scene, despite me knowing what was going to happen, got a laugh out of me. I won't lie. <laughs> it was just funny to see the the comeuppance of it all. Uh, and, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, and Rachel Lee Cook be like, did you do it? Did you come? And then look down and see his fucking smashed face. <laughs> I, I would have liked to have seen the scene where the the head actually broke off of the gravestone and somebody's like, oh, what do I do? And just kind of like carefully places it yeah, back yeah. on trying to balance it. Yeah. I would have loved if Patrick Swayze tried to weaken it. Bernie's the body for the sheriff or some shit. <laughs> just me and my buddy. And he's only got like a hat on the top of his head or some shit. Be great. Well, and, and again, to that whole sequence, like Rachel E. Cook goes and gets the bowling ball, but then drops it and never actually places it on the guy's head so that blood will get on the bowling ball, making it seem right, as though like. Yeah. And, and so like there could have been this whole comedic aspect to Patrick Swayze attempting to reattach the fucking gravestone head and then carefully place the bowling ball on the guy's head to, so that his, yeah. his daughter wouldn't be yeah. framed for that. And we got none of that, and that just deprived me of laughs and giggles in the midst of all this tragedy. Also, I just real quick want to talk about how Elliot uh, from E.T., mm. he, um, he's in the movie for like 10 minutes. I guess he just costs that extra amount uh, when you get that level of star <laughs> No, there's power. no way that like 34-year-old <laughs> Elliot was demanding big money at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, you tell me why they only used him for 10 minutes at most <laughs> because the character was an, a nothing character i suppose um yeah but like even that was just like there was so much that could have been done with him that was literally just they set him up at the very beginning like we should give a shit about anything he does because at the very end they go out on the exact same dialogue he was opening with they bookend it mm -hmm. as george lucas would say it's like poetry it rhymes uh oh, and it just fucking <laughs> is one of those things where you're like okay i fucking why do i care about him at all um why do i care that he's not been drinking or any it just closes the story but it doesn't give us any like oh fuck this character was shitty all along we opened the movie on him drinking and fucking driving yeah yep. we already know he's permissible to terrible things so it's just like all right i guess yeah sure that fucking did happen but if the movie had been, let's say he's interspliced in between. Anytime that the cop shows up, he's in the cop car trying to negotiate in a different way. He's like bidding for his life in some some fucking fashion. And at the very end, we get the beginning sequence where he's in, riding into town and talking about, yeah. oh, yeah, I'm going to see you, whatever. We just know that he's a shitty person and he's done something shitty. Would have made it way more justified. Would have been more enjoyable. Would have been fun. My penis would be in my pants right now and not in my fucking hand. But they just, it can't, this movie can't help itself. It has to tattle on what's going to happen. It has to fucking <laughs> spoil any punchline that would go. So. It's also like one of the worst characters is the, the boyfriend trying to get money for the abortion, you know, like going to, to rob the gas station that he works at. And just, like the movie spends so much time on that guy. Yeah. And I just didn't give a shit about anything that, that he had to deal with. And also, doesn't the movie violate its own rules at one point? Because usually it sticks with one person for the time. And we were in Hillary Swank mode whenever he comes in. But then we follow him into the icebox room for just a little bit. But it, then it cuts away and then she's it cuts fucking to her with the and gun. She's fucking with the gun. But yeah. like, why even do that if you're going to show us later they're in there intimately kissing and talking about... 
if not I to guess because to... she shot into it so that we needed to know that they were in there but <sighs> just I, watching I, them I go know. in and, and her be like all right and just waiting and wondering what they're going to do then showing them talk and have that whole discussion that's the alfred hitchcock ticking time bomb mm. you know the gun's there the audience is fucking well aware of the timeline here but the movie itself just had to show you it had to be like they're back there remember now hillary swank's gonna be fucking stupid <laughs> swirl the gun around on her finger and pull the hammer back which it's like you've never handled a gun you've also established your goody two-shoes why do you want to be steven seagal or chuck norris now why even try who doesn't want to be steven seagal john <laughs> yeah who doesn't not only know? that she's she spills the fucking bullets at one point in time where she could have just then played around with the fucking gun while it's unloaded i thought she was trying to get the bullets out and was going to pocket the bullets and give the guy the gun back yeah. unloaded and like nope she's going to put him back in and keep fucking around with the gun yeah yep. i mean like literally the only pieces of the whole thing that were like a mystery were like like, I originally thought, okay, it was Hillary Swank who called in the cop report that identified him. And she's so yep. stupid that she said, like, exactly what he looks like. But mm. no, it was Rachel Lee Cook who did it eventually. And then, oh, you know, like, oh, it's so nice of Rachel Lee Cook to actually leave him his keys. Oh, wait, no, she went to get the bowling ball. That's where it came from. You know, like, and it reveals that in the end of, in her vignette. But yeah, it was it was just. I think the, the way to describe this movie is just fucking insulting to the audience. Like, you know what this it, movie I, is? And I referenced George Lucas just a few minutes ago. It's a George Lucas affair to me where it tries to over explain every fucking detail in it. It's telling you about all the tiny things that cause these other happenstances. And it just it has to put it in your face and show you that this is why it happened when it could just trust that you could make that connection yourself. You could assume certain things and that would play with it or it could yeah. introduce some ambiguity and that this would be movie kind of assumes a very low iq level of yeah. its audience what i really yeah. would be interested in seeing because it has so many big stars is seeing if there is anywhere online where the original submission from the director is of the script versus mm. what happened after um the whatever studio produced it got a hold of it and oh, yeah, decided okay. to provide sure. notes yeah. Because we we may be faulting the writer director for this, but it might actually be that he was just dealt. It could easily That's be studio possible. notes because I'm sure that somebody saw. Well, we want Memento, but we, we don't want to fucking our audiences are too dumb to understand Memento. Let's just edit it this way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're like no, I don't know about that. You're right, Mark. You're right. We are assuming a lot here with this. But yeah, you know what? Fuck, fuck you guys. The, fuck for... the writer director. I don't <laughs> <Yeah>. care. <laughs> It's a bad movie. You know what? But this He's movie the most fuck responsible everybody. person. <laughs> That's right. Fuck Chet Hanks. <laughs> uh, anyways. Uh, any any other thoughts on on this uh, wonderful piece of cinema that we have been breaking down here? I'm gonna go to Half yeah. Price Books and buy the DVD. Wait, do you still have the DVD, Mark? I do. Does it have uh, special features? I want to know. I don't know, but if we would like to recreate the office space sequence of the the copy oh, slash we all fax beat machine, it to death yes, with a baseball bat, then we can totally fucking nice. do that. I like, dig that. You know, um, I actually did that once in college. My neighbors were just like beating the shit out of a printer in my driveway <laughs> i was like what the fuck are you doing they're like have you seen office Space? I was like yeah they're like here take this pole and hit this printer <laughs> fuck yeah <laughs> i thought it was gonna be more like you stepped out on your fucking like uh, the porch or whatever you're like hey hey you better save some for me <laughs> 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 
My uh, my final thought is I wish I could rewind time and pick a different fucking movie for this goddamn <laughs> podcast. <laughs> uh, hey, you can only rewind to 1051. Exactly. <laughs> God damn it. Well, at least you'll learn about Komodo dragons before we have to watch this <laughs> abysmal film again. The Komodo dragon eats teenagers whole. <laughs> Sometimes it preys on Chet Hanks. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Mark, would you recommend this movie? I would absolutely not recommend it. Not even to people I hate. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Wow. You would spare. I would spare my enemies. Um, it, it 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 is it is not aged well. Um, I would if I could build a time traveling device before I rewound time so we could watch a different movie. I would go back in time to two thousand and. I want to say 2007 and I would slap Mark who bought this movie and uh, thought it was great in the face and say, You're wait, but have you stupid. seen time cop? If you touch yourself in the past, then you like disintegrate and you kill all yourselves. Oh, well, have you yeah. seen Trancers? Because that's not the case. Well, oh, no. but, time, time Cop I, is a definitive so, time travel oh, movie. Oh, oh, wait, I saw a similar Dixon, movie. Put the knife away. The, the one I saw was called Time Cock. And a guy goes back in time. And when he touches himself, something else happens. Okay? Wait, 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 wait. Wait, does Ben Foster's dick go back in time when it flies out the window? Is it? I need to know where you procured this from for science. <laughs> the same place I procured poop dreams and a Harry Potter and the prostitute of Alcatraz. <laughs> it wasn't Azkaban? No, it was not Azkaban. I'm so disappointed. Uh. Oh my God. Okay, so yeah, you wouldn't recommend this. I would refute this fucking movie so hard. Um, I haven't even seen Old Boy with... Uh, you know, like the the American Eye, the, oh, the Spike, Spike Lee, Lee version. Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen that one, but I would refute this one before I would refute that one. I so. you'd be like, I would recommend <laughs> that over this. At least I, Spike I Lee made that, like, right? Yeah, exactly. Like it has like, some some good things some merits in it, right? There, yeah. like, exactly. Why not? Um, yeah, yeah, no, no. This is just it's a joyless husk of what cinema should be. That's a beautiful way to wow. play. John, would you recommend this movie? Uh, you know, I watched a lot of schlock in my day. I've watched a lot of terrible fucking movies. You gave this movie three stars on Letterboxd. I gave this movie three stars because it <laughs> adequately serviced a timeline plot. And I debated giving it two and a half to two stars. I think I'm going to have to go back and be revisionist. <laughs> I think in this instance, the more that I think about it, no, no. You know what? I'm not going to fucking recommend this movie. <laughs> I, think, I will refute the shit out of this. I think the more appropriate thing, John, would be to let Dixon live out the events that were happening while you were letterboxing it and oh, yeah. have him go back and rate it with two stars. Oh, okay, sure. Does that, I guess that timeline wise makes sense? I don't sense? know what that means. That Literally mean living out the plot of this movie. But with letterbox, but with letter, <laughs> I don't understand. I don't, I don't know but what you're I, talking I about. I accept it and I endorse it. Uh, I think, um, yeah, I I would not recommend this movie. Uh, when this movie ended, I went, well, that was a fucking thing. Yep. And Sasha said pretty much the exact same thing. Yeah. And then we went about our day, and I highly doubt. You know, Sasha doesn't really remember a lot of the movies we watch, and I think this is going to be one of the ones that I'll never bring up, and she'll never remember. Yep. Um, it's I envy her. The only thing that I would say, um, you know, I'm not a fan of internet bullying or online mobs, but, but <laughs> I think everybody out there who's listening to this oh needs to God. become a critic officially licensed so you can go on Rotten Tomatoes and really just level this down to the percentage it needs to be. Yeah. Because you know what? You're How putting... do we get this down to 36%? Yeah. Yeah. How, we, yeah. We need enough people to do that because let me tell you what, you're not just putting us in danger. You're putting our children in danger 
somebody could see that review and think this was a good movie and they would watch <laughs> that and waste a solid hour and 26 minutes. The future of mankind <laughs> is at stake. You're, you're risking our most precious natural resource next to natural gas and oil. Uh, which <laughs> not water. Which is, yeah, not, not water. water. Our no. children. It's our children. Oh, wait. <laughs> natural gas, oil, and banks. Yes, that's right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course. Sorry. Uh, Moderate to large sized bank. I need to s- sift back through my uh, GOP pack talking points. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, I would refute this movie. Um, I would refute it with every fiber of my being. And it's really hard for me to do that. And everybody knows. I sit on the fence a lot. Yeah. And I really go to bat for movies that kind of suck. You do. This one I'm not going to do that for. <laughs> yeah. Funniest moment, John, was literally the thing you texted me about was when I saw that one of the producer's names was Mark Damon and was transported. <laughs> I saw that too. They fucking knew. I was like, it's Tommy fucking Wiseau. Oh <laughs> Thinking that it's Matt Damon, but it's Mark Damon. Oh, that was great. That's so good. Yeah, that got me, and it wasn't the movie. I was trying to do it. Uh, yeah. Dixon. Yeah, uh, I would definitely not recommend this movie. Um, if I had a time machine to go back in time, I would take over the production of this movie and just make a movie centered around Patrick Swayze and Barbara Hershey and just have that play out and see see where that goes. And Eleven just, fourteen by A twenty four. Yeah, Patrick Swayze. We're just get, we're going to get rid of Colin Hanks entirely. Uh, we're going to probably get rid of the the denim jacket dude and just you know and insert Barbara Hershey into the scene into more scenes to fuck shit up and make things go insane. I kept yeah. thinking denim jacket dude was Chris O'Donnell. <laughs> I don't know why, but he I kind of looks like I was yeah. like, "Oh, Batman and Robin. He was very very <laughs> prestigious uh, like pedigree here." I'm pretty sure, I've never seen that guy in anything before. I don't know what he he did with his his acting career, but um, I hope he's out there doing better things. Movie. I hope he's out there doing better things. That's yeah. all I can say. Maybe yeah, he has like a, a prominent uh, Broadway career now or something. Yeah, yeah. sure. Doing this on stage. Yeah. Uh, Eleven <laughs> yeah. fourteen, the stage play. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think the thing that kind of encapsulates this film is just that it's it's a perfect example of how you can have just immeasurable talent across the board and just fucking squander it if you don't have a good script. Yes. And good direction. Mm-hmm. Yep. Student film uh, scripts, man, they can fucking ruin you. Yep. <laughs> Even if you're a great director or a great actor, that script is pretty like, well, also the direction obviously will fund it too, but mm. that script is also key. You need to know your characters. You need to do this. And if you're not going to know your characters, you need to give us some better tells of how fucking awful they are. And also tell the audience in a way that's not like, hey, dummy, um, that you can hate these characters. It's perfectly okay. That would be nice. I was so mixed on it the entire time. Yeah. I just don't care. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll just end it by saying that I think, like I mentioned earlier, that I think these types of movies are best when they show the same event from different perspectives and show the event play out differently to show how each character is perceiving it. Yeah. And like, I think The Last Duel is an incredible film that no one saw. And like, it's Ridley Scott, Adam Driver, Matt Damon. It's really good. And so like, if, if that kind of premise is interesting to you, oh, what if they show the same event? through different perspectives or or different things leading up to it check that movie out it's great uh don't watch 1114 i, I would yeah, also no. say yeah feel free to check out rashomon or yeah. even um hero is another one that i don't think many people talk about with jet yeah, lee that Lee's one's that pretty was solid oh i haven't awesome. seen that one it's uh it's a little long pacing wise but it's still really good i would recommend it so yeah 
Yeah, the uh, yeah, the whole color palette they do in that movie yes, is amazing. That's mainly it. Like, and there's it, a lot of good visuals. Yeah, and if you're <laughs> gonna go with the visuals too, um, another movie I would recommend that might be a little better than this does right, some amazing visuals. And again, I mean, my my obviously my stock here is is lower, <laughs> but I would recommend um the the thief um the cook hit um no it's the cook the thief his wife and her lover. I've oh, heard great things about that. I haven't yeah. seen it. I actually just ordered that blu-ray and i haven't gotten it yet ah, so yeah yeah it, it is a pretty remarkable film um watched it my freshman year in college and like visually stunning and the plot is not terrible either yeah so nice. highly recommend don't recommend this movie it is basically like a warm cup of coffee that you've left on the uh desk for a couple of days and you drink <laughs> it thinking it is your fresh cup of iced or hot coffee why is it warm uh well well it's, I the guess sun? It's, it's I mean <laughs> yeah pretty much the sun and and just you know ambient temperature okay baked okay. it out sure why not lukewarm <laughs> um, tepid coffee before we fully close out I want to say one more thing which is if you have treatments for eleven fourteen send them to our email <laughs> I would love to read send it to directly to me John at at afterthoughts.media. that's my uh, my email you can just. Send your ideas over to me. Let me know if I had good good shit to say. If you this. send John treatments for this, he will write a script and try to make it. I'll fucking so try. Be my careful. Best. I will get Chet yeah. Hanks this time, not Colin Hanks. <laughs> you don't even need to do that. You sent me that video the other day. We could get fucking AI to do all of this. We it's could true. literally just remake <laughs> this movie with AI and it would probably fucking be better. <laughs> Cool. I think that about wraps us up. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Afterthoughts. I am your host, Michael Dixon. With me, our esteemed guest. For given the uh, reception to this movie, not so esteemed guest, uh, Mark Garcia. <laughs> and as always, John Garcia. Uh, yeah, everybody, seriously, it's Hi, my name is Mark Garcia. I used to be successful at a lot of things, but then one day I was exposed to 1114. It made me lose my family, my friends, and everyone I cared about. Don't lose your loved ones. Don't let yourself be impacted by 1114. If you or someone you know has been exposed to 1114, contact Poison Control immediately. The number is on our website. Thank you. Hey there, movie buffs, TV toughs, and all listeners in between. John here from the Afterthoughts Podcast. I just wanted to drop in at the end of this episode and say thanks for listening. If you've got afterthoughts of your own to share, hit us up. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Afterpod, or jump into a conversation on our Discord server. You can find info for this and more at theafterpod.transistor.fm. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Hi, it's 11.14. Do you know where your kids are? Chances are, they're watching 11.14 or fucking dogs. Either way, you need to stop that shit right now. If you need help with treating your kids because they've been exposed to 11.14 or their fucking dogs, please contact our hotline at 555 55 Was that enough fives? <laughs>